0: Alright, for our teaching time today, we're going to continue our Sadiq Sermon Series. And the series is about what we believe. Because what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. To put it another way, how you define God is what defines you. And Sadiq, it's this incredible, multifaceted Hebrew word throughout the Bible that means righteousness. It means perfect. You could say Holy. If you look at your bulletin cover or on the screen, you'll see that word in Hebrew. And our logo for it, there's a plumb line right in the middle of it. A plumb line is a heavy weight with a pointed end to it that's suspended in the air by a rope or or a string. And that rope is held by gravity, right, to be straight up and down. So there's no deviation. In the book of Isaiah, God is speaking to his people and he says this. I will make justice the line. I will make righteousness, there's that Sadiq word, the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Sadiq, this is the standard. Righteousness is the level by which God measures all things, and anything that deviates from that will be swept away. There will be no shelter for that which is not. Sadiq. Because God Himself is Sadiq. He is perfectly perfect. He's perfectly righteous. That's who He is. Last Sunday, Pastor Matt described uh, God's nature like the nature of the sun. If you approach it too closely, it will sweep you away, it'll overtake you, it'll evaporate you completely because that's how overwhelming God is. He is holy, holy, holy. It's the only attribute that is elevated to that third degree. It's the only characteristic of God that's mentioned three times in succession in that way. The Bible says God is holy, holy, holy. God is just. God is merciful. God is love. But the Bible never tells us that he is mercy, 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 or love, love, love. It does say that he's holy, 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 and that the whole earth is full of his glory. And so that's where we must begin in our faith. That's, that truth alone should absolutely establish how we see the world. And so that's where we begin. God is holy. If we fix our eyes on his holiness... If, if we lean into it, if we try to wrap our minds around his perfect righteousness, the truth is actually quite unsettling. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you because it will in turn define you. And the resulting truth is clear throughout the Bible. It's particularly evident in Romans, uh, in the book of Romans. God is holy And so what are we? Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10, tells us that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is sadiq and we are not. He is righteous and perfect and transcendent, and we are worthless and none of us doing good. God is holy, 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 and the truth that we must reckon with is that man is sinful, 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 sinful. That's our primary attribute as a human race. The shared trait that each and every one of us has is that not a single one of us is good or righteous or holy. Now, oftentimes what we as Christians do at this point in a discussion of sin is is we begin to list the things that are sinful. And so we define sin. It's missing the mark. It's crossing the boundary lines. it's, It's breaking the rule. And those are fine definitions of sin. They're helpful to understand what it is. It's disobedience to God. It's opposition to his law and his way. But what can happen is we overdefine the symptoms and the results of sin. So we elaborate on sins, but we forget the core issue. So we see the forest and the trees, but we lose sight of the vast network of roots underneath. And, And the root truth is this. Man is sinful. We do not just commit sins. We we don't just act sinfully. We are sinful. It's not just part of our nature. It is our nature. To fathom this, we'll turn to Romans chapter 1 to study the, the essence of sin. And by essence, I mean what's at the bottom of it? What is wrong with us to our core that gives rise to so much evil? What is the heart of our depravity? And as we uncover the root this morning, we're going to look at three realities of sin, three truths about sin that we need to be aware of. And as we read this passage, you'll see that the, the Romans passage, it refers to mankind in the third person. It uses the word they or, or their. But as we just saw in Romans chapter 3, we are they. All have sinned, turned aside, no one does good. And so, as we read the passages, we put it on the screens to remind us of that truth. I'm going to substitute those third person words for the words we and and our. Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of mankind, who by our unrighteousness, we suppress the truth. Mankind here is described as ungodly and unrighteous, and, and the Bible's clear. The book of first John tells us that all unrighteousness, you could say, all that is not Sadiq is sin. And Romans tells us that the wrath of heaven itself is poured out against the ungodly and the unrighteous. Because God's holiness, his Sadiq nature, will not stand anything other than holiness. And Continuing with that, that verse, what does our unrighteousness lead to? The first reality of sin is that sin suppresses the truth. Sin suppresses the truth. It causes us to push it down, to, to try to hide it. Because we, we don't want to know the truth. The truth about God or about ourselves. What's the truth? Continuing in Romans, what can be known about God is plain to us because God has shown it to us. And so we are without excuse, for although we knew God, we did not glorify him as God or give thanks to him, but we became futile in our thinking, in our foolish hearts were darkened. The truth that sin suppresses it's that God is God, that God is holy, that he's infinitely and eternally worthy of glory and thanks and praise, and obedience, and sin is the antithesis of all of that. Sin doesn't glorify God. Sin does not thank him. Sin is directly opposed to who he is, and so sin uh, suppresses that truth. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller says that what the Bible is saying here is that when it comes to the knowledge of God and of his holiness, we know, but sometimes we don't know. Because we don't want to know. We choose to suppress the truth because of what it means about us. Because it's a mirror to our own souls. If we understand that God is holy and righteous and perfect, then we must know that we are not. And one of, if not the most common way that we suppress the truth It's simply through comparison. The truth is, I I don't have to consider my own depravity. I I don't need to think about my brokenness before Almighty God, as long as there's someone who's much worse than I am. Rather than, than trampling the truth altogether, we can just contrast our wickedness with someone that we believe is more sinful. And it's super convenient, because we always get to choose who that is that we compare with. And when we suppress the truth, what we're doing is we allow ourselves to sin. We give ourselves license. We get to store up anger and hatred toward another person. And every thought becomes laced with malice, and every word about them in private is filled with loathing. But we permit it because it's not really hurting anybody. I'm not actually going to say it to their face. It's not that bad. Or, or we make the choice. We keep going back to the same sin, to the same website, lusting after pornography, knowing it's wrong, but it's not as bad as actually doing something, right? I mean I mean, that guy over there, he, he destroyed his marriage with an affair. I'm not doing that. I'm just, I'm just looking. We lie a little here or there in, in relationships or in conversations. That don't really matter to us because we get to tell ourselves, I'm not a liar, at at least not about the important stuff. I think the reason that gossip is so enticing is because we get the excuse to talk about other people's sin, which helps us to subdue the truth about our own. Have you heard what they did? Did you hear why? their marriage is falling apart can you believe that and and we get to shake our heads and disapprove of sin and call it evil but never look in the mirror man is sinful and and we know this but we don't really know because we don't want to know the truth is too uncomfortable It, it would demand too much and so we choose not to know we, we can compare our sin to others. We try to suppress thinking of what's broken in us. And listen, suppression, it's not ignorance. Suppression means the truth is in there. We know the truth, but we try with all of our might to keep it below the surface. And our sin, it repels the light of truth and it runs to the darkness of falsehood. And, and Jesus himself actually tells us that we're sinful not because we're victims Of the darkness within us, but because we are lovers of that darkness. He says, Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. That's what sin does it inclines and empowers us to hate the truth. But sin doesn't just hate the truth, sin is also a lover. And when the hated truth is suppressed, a loved lie is embraced. A shift happens, and exchange takes place. Claiming to be wise, we became fools, and we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. And therefore, God gave us over to the lusts of our heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of our bodies among ourselves, because we exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And we worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Because of sin, we don't just bury the truth, we exchange it for something else. That's the second reality this morning, that sin is a terrible exchange. We exchange the truth for a lie. Sin looks at immortal, holy God, perfectly perfect, and exchanges that glory for anything else. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They're living in paradise. They're spending time with the creator of the universe. They're, they're walking with him. God gives them everything they could ever want or need, but, but one day, this first couple, they choose to exchange it for a lie. And claiming to be wise, they become fools, and they exchange God's glory for a bite of a piece of fruit, desiring more than what God had already given Sin exchanged life with God for death apart from him. So the couple is cast out of Eden because their broken nature. It can't exist in the presence of God's holiness. The couple has a son, and they name him Cain, and he becomes a farmer. They have another son, they name him Abel, and he becomes a rancher, and and each of the brothers brings an offering to God. And, And the younger brother's offering pleases God more than the older brother's. But God tells the older, don't be disheartened. God encourages him, saying, if you do well, won't you be accepted? But beware, sin is waiting, it's crouching, it's against you. And Cain hears that truth, he takes that truth, and he exchanges it for a lie. God gives him a path, but Cain sees another way, and it's more appealing, and so he takes it. Cain makes the exchange. He murders his brother. And sin continues to weave and spread and infect. And and the book of human history has the stamp of sin on every single page. And even when God himself steps into the story, God in human flesh, Jesus the Christ, many people follow him, but there are 12 in particular who spend years with him. They, they walk with him. They, they eat meals with him. They look into the eyes of the Sadiq one himself. And Judas, one of the 12, claiming to be wise, becomes a fool, and he literally exchanges the glory of God for 30 pieces of silver. A human being who spent time with his immortal creator exchanged him for man-made pieces of metal. Sin is a terrible exchange. It's cosmic treason. It's revolt against the creator. It's the supreme act of ingratitude toward the one to whom we owe everything. Sin is disobedience. It's the willful choice to turn away from God. But it also goes deeper than that. Because do you see what we're saying to God when we disobey him, even in the slightest? We're exchanging his righteousness for brokenness, and, and in some realm of our lives, we make this exchange, often numerous times. Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our being. The great sin, then, is to fail to love God in that way to take that love and to exchange it, to turn it toward anything or anyone other. And, and why do we make that exchange? Romans tells us it's because we claim to be wise. Pridefully, we believe that we know better than God does. Maybe we don't understand his plan, and so we make our own. Or maybe we don't like his plan, and so we say, I've got a better one. And and this pride, this arrogance, it's pushing God off of the throne of our lives, taking the crown off of his head, putting it on our own, and and sitting down and just simply saying, I'll take it from here. And our exchanges, the exchange that we make, it it so often shows up in our personality and in our bents. So, for example, God commands us to rest the Bible calls it Sabbath. Intentionally stop, just stop. Stop working and be with God. He wants us to rest. It's one of the Ten Commandments, and it's good for us. It's part of God's plan. It's, it's the truth. And what do we do? We exchange it for a lie. No, God, you, you don't understand. I need uh, this 60-hour work week. I, I need to keep working. This project, this job, it's too important. Rest is fine for other people, but but not for me. I just don't have time to obey. We're telling God, I know better. Or maybe your bent is perpetual worry about the future or, or the finances or the family. And you know the truth. You you hear it, God is in control, and, and you've heard Jesus' words. He says, do not worry about tomorrow, but just maybe if I dwell on it a little more, that'll help. If I stress over the spreadsheets just one more time before bed, that'll get it done. More anxiety, more worry, less prayer, less trust. God, you, you said not to worry. I get that, but I just, I got to. You don't get it. I'll trust you with all the, the other stuff in my life, the smaller stuff that I know you can handle, but not this. I get to worry about this. Or if your primary hope in this world is for comfort or security, your temptation will be to take the truth that God cares more about your eternal soul than your temporal contentment and exchange it for a lie that God cares most about what you want. And that exchange, you might even trade him in for a lesser God who who gives you the things that you want. Listen, I bring up those three bents because they're my bents. Those are the three exchanges that I make in my life, and they're not difficult to make. It's as easy as turning off the light switch. And so what does that exchange look like for you? Man is sinful, and our sin causes us to suppress the truth about God and about ourselves. Sin is a terrible exchange. It trades the glory of God for our brokenness. C.S. Lewis once said, Sin is mankind's way of telling a holy God, Leave me alone. We shout at him, I want things my way. And God replies, As you wish. God is holy and he is righteous and he loves us. And because of his great love, he will not override our decision. You see, we made the choice. We broke the father's heart, we destroyed the relationship. We exchanged the truth of God for a lie and now we worship and serve created things rather than the creator. We didn't stumble and fall into a pit of sin. We chose to climb down. And, And now with our hands we dig deeper and deeper until our nails peel off and our fingers bleed. That's what this terrible exchange does. Now to this point, we've been talking about the broken state of humankind. We're in a desperate situation. We are lost in an ocean of sin, but we're, we're kind of all in the same lifeboat. We're, we're together in it. And as long as sin remains this collective things, thing in our mind, we can continue to suppress the truth and the weight of it because we can spread it out. And so I'd, I'd like for us for just a moment to be cast out as individuals to see. Because the third reality of, of sin this morning is that I am sinful. God is holy and I am sinful. When we think about sin, it's so easy to look for examples out there. War and, and murder and, and systemic, just widespread evil that occurs throughout the world but it's not just out there. It's inside here in each and every one of us and not just us, you alone adrift, me stuck and digging deeper into my own pit of sin. In 1908, the times newspaper in london sent letters to various writers and philosophers and, and professors throughout england and they posed this question what's wrong with the world what's wrong with the world author gk chesterton he receives his letter and he immediately writes the times back saying dear sirs i am sincerely yours what's wrong with the world i am I'm the problem because I am sinful. It is not just a collective thing. It's who I am. It's who you are. I'm sinful and I'm stuck. Sin can can try to suppress the truth for so long, but when we become aware of our sin, what do we do? We try to fix it. And so this is where human religion comes in because on this side of the exchange, we want to go back. We want back into Eden. We want out of the pit. And, and religion tells us, hey, yeah, you, you can go back. You can get yourself out. We can reclaim innocence. We can reverse the curse. So, so do this or don't do this or, or say this or work harder. Try to act righteously. Do enough good things to overturn the exchange that took place. But all that we could ever do or even try to do, it's polluted because of who we are. I am sinful, and even my very best, on my very best day, it's still infected by that. Isaiah 64, 6 says that we have all become like one who is unclean. In all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So we all fade like a leaf and our sin, like the wind, sweeps us away. We're contaminated. We're stuck in that state. Even the sadiq deeds that we try to cleanse ourselves with, they're like filthy rags. Another translation says a polluted garment. And so the image is clear. We're we're indescribably dirty and, and we try to change our clothes, but we find that every shirt we put on it's filthier, it's it's more repulsive than the last. Our hands are a mess. We're we're covered in all kinds of dirt and and, and filth, but each time we try to wash it off, the towel we find it's it's this moldy rag and it's covered in grime. And in the presence of holiness, the real Sadiq. Our hollow attempts at righteousness, they fade to nothing. I, I've had to come to this realization over and over again in my life, that even the good things, even the good that I do, is marred by sin. One example in particular, though, stands out. When I was in college, I led a, a month-long mission trip to Thailand with a group of about a dozen fraternity brothers. And One of the guys on the trip was a videographer, and he made this short 10-minute film that chronicled our ministry and our experience, and the video turned out great, and what I mean by that is that I came across looking really great, and I knew it. I mean, let's be honest, several weeks in the sun, I had this great tan, the lighting was good, my hair was on point. The things I said, they sounded really profound because of the editing and because he put some music behind it. Man, it was a great video. And after the trip, first thing I did, I started looking for ways to share that video. I looked into screening it at the student union or at a chapter meeting or having a party at our house where, hey, we're going to watch this. And I'm making all of these plans to share this video uh, about a mission trip, sure, a good thing. And one day, a roommate very bluntly asked me, Kevin, who are you hoping to glorify with this? And I remember getting so angry because I had gone overseas to serve God. I had shared the gospel. I had served the poor and and the widows and the orphans. And my roommate, what did he do? He didn't go. So who was he to call into account my motivations? But he was absolutely right. Serving God, it's a good thing, a righteous deed, but I wanted to make sure that it didn't go unnoticed. I wanted to show off so that I would be glorified. We never screened it, but I have still got that filthy rag There's a moment in the Old Testament that further demonstrates this broken, sinful condition. It shows us the reality that we're sinful through and through, infecting even the good that we think we do. The story takes place in 2 Samuel. King David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. The Ark is a holy object. It was set apart. It's a physical symbol of God's throne among his people. And the ark is loaded onto this wagon that's pulled by oxen, and the oxen stumble. And a man named Uzzah, he's walking nearby, and he reaches out his hand to keep this holy object from falling onto the ground. And the Bible tells us that he dies immediately. Actually, it says that God's wrath burned against him, and that God strikes him down. Uzzah's death, it appears to be really harsh, extreme even, for what we might consider a good deed, a righteous act. But listen, it is only extreme if we fail to comprehend two things, God's holiness and our sinfulness. Everything about this story is wrong. God has already given clear instructions regarding his ark. It's to be carried with poles, not by hand, so that no one would actually touch it. It should have never been on a bumpy cart to begin with. And furthermore, God forbids all but a set-apart few from even looking at it. So it's forbidden to look at or to touch. But Uzzah does it anyway. Listen, the the people know this. King David knows this. Uzzah would have known this. This isn't a righteous deed, it's a filthy rag. It's an act of arrogance. It's a sin of presumption. It says, I've got this God. Don't worry. I know you said not to, but but I'm claiming wisdom here. Uzzah touches the ark. He's assuming his hand is clean and that the ground is not. But it's not the ground. It's not mud or dirt that made the exchange. The ground wouldn't desecrate the ark of God. It's sin. It's sin. The ground didn't commit spiritual betrayal. We did. Uzzah is not an innocent man laid low by a vengeful God. He's a sinful man who receives what he deserves. Man is sinful. That's our nature, it's what flows through us. And even the righteous deeds that we attempt are like filthy rags, and we're stuck. We can't reverse the exchange. I would very much like right now to fast forward to the end of the story. I would love to rush past this, this desolate place, and get us back to to talking about paradise. I've struggled with this sermon this week because I really want to end with happily ever after. But I don't think I can. Because if we really understand the truth, the reality of sin, the fact is we should be utterly shocked and undone by the fact that God would choose to love us. But for many of us, and I know this is so true in my life, I am no longer that surprised that God loves or saves us. I kind of expect it. Somewhere deep down, I I harbor this notion that we're still not the real problem. You know who is though? They are, over there. Sin is, but but they're the real sinful ones. And, And sure, I'm a sinner too, but not as bad as I could be. There are just enough redeeming features in our lives, or our personalities, or our souls that we're just good enough. That of course. God would love us. We believe the folk singer, Cat Stevens, who once said, I'm confident that ultimately, justice will prevail. I'm an optimist, and I believe that in the end, the good people get to live happily ever after. And you know what? I agree with half of that statement. In the end, yes, justice will prevail. God says so. Remember Isaiah 28, 17. I will make justice the line. I will make righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. You see, Isaiah tells us the whole truth. The book of Romans, the scriptures reverberate with this truth. The truth is is this. The reality of sin is this. There are no good people. There are no good people. This series is about what we believe. It's about righteousness, the holiness, the perfectly perfectness of God. Sadiq. And we cannot comprehend that awe-inspiring, crushing truth of God's nature without also understanding our own decrepit and warped reality. Listen, whatever you do, please do not miss next week, okay? If you can't be here, listen to it online. Next week is the central point of all of this. Next week is the gospel. And The gospel, it means good news, and it's true, and it's significant, and it is life and eternity altering. Okay, be here next Sunday. But in order to appreciate the goodness of that news and and the fullness of God's love and His grace, we have to stand here first, face to face with this. We have to come to terms with the bad news. Man is sinful. And let me restate that I am sinful. You and I have made a terrible exchange. I am the problem, and I'm stuck. The very best that I could ever hope to do, the closest to Sadiq that I could ever come on my own, it's filth to be washed away. God is holy, and man is sinful. Would you please join me in prayer? God, we come before you uh, broken, broken men and women, I and, and every single one of us in this room. God, there's not one of us who does good. There's not one of us who is sadiq. Is so, Father, we come before you, and we know that even the best we could offer is repulsive. God, we confess that. We, we recognize it. We acknowledge that we've exchanged the truth of who you are for for lies. And God, we're stuck. We're stuck in this state. So, Father, with nowhere else to turn, with no hope, we turn only to you. God, because we know you are holy, holy, holy. We thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us, that you would choose to love us. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of you, God, the Father, we pray these things. Amen.